This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne-wy-giving. Amen. So Matthew chapter 13. There's three parables. We're going to jump right into parable or to verse 44 without really backtracking. We don't have any context to pick up other than uh, a reminder that all of these parables are parables of the kingdom. And you can actually group them. You can cap, you can categorize them. You know, the first two, even though the very first parable that he spoke in this chapter did not begin with the kingdom of heaven is like unto. That just started out with here now the parable of the sower or something to that effect. But the first two parables that he shared, that of the sower and of uh, the man that had sowed good seed, those are both parables of the kingdom as seed. And then the next set of parables that we went through were parables of the kingdom as growth. That was the kingdom being likened unto a mustard seed. The kingdom being likened unto a mustard seed. And then the one after that was the kingdom being likened unto leaven and how that spreads throughout a loaf of bread and causes it to rise. And we, we talked quite a bit and in depth, I would say, about that last week. But then this last group of par- parables that begin in verse 44 are the parables of the kingdom as treasure. These are parables of the kingdom as treasure. And it begins in verse 44. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Now that's the whole parable right there. It's one verse long. But you dig into it, and it says almost as much, it says almost as much by the things that it doesn't say. Does that make sense? All right, because you look at how the guy in this parable reacts to finding this treasure in the field. He says, all right, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. It didn't say that when the man found it, he just stole it. Like, oh, hey, look what I found. And he just took it and ran with it. It didn't say that he did that at all, because that would have been the wrong way to do it. It would have been if it were treasure. If we take it a bit more literally than is intended, it would have been the property of whoever owned that field, right? So, you know, you can't just go running out. Say you run across to that job site across from the church with your metal detector and your shovel and you find a big old, I don't know, whatever, a case of found money or or a, you wouldn't find a bag of gold doubloons. I don't think that we had any pirates in Wyoming sailing the sailing the high plains of grass and tumbleweeds. But, you know, let's say you found something out there. You wouldn't just think that it was yours to take. Someone owns that land, and by default, they own what's in that land. And I know you could get into all the technicalities of mineral rights and all that um, nonsense, but that's not really the point. The point is, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto something that is extremely valuable. He calls it a treasure that was hid in a field where you wouldn't expect it to be. It's just out there in some overgrown wilderness somewhere, which when a man hath found, what did he do? Well, he hid it. That's what he did. He buried that thing again. He covered it up, made it look like it wasn't there so that no one would come along and no one else would come along and take it because it was valuable. It's something that he wanted to own, right? 
And he doesn't find any fault with that at all in this parable. He says he's found this treasure. He hides it, covers it with some dead tumbleweeds or something. And for joy thereof, goeth and selleth all that he hath and then buyeth that field. Because obviously, if he went to the owner of the field and said, hey, I found some treasure in your field, that would cause a bunch of problems. First of all, what were you doing in my field, trespasser? Second of all, no way I'm going to sell you that treasure because how stupid is that? I'm keeping it for myself. No, he went and he sold all that he had. Now let's pick this apart a little bit. This goes deep for just a one verse long, one sentence long parable that requires that, that Jesus didn't give any explanation for. He hides it, he goes, and he sells everything. That means he goes home, he sells his house, he sells his car, he sells his beat up old pickup truck that's on blocks half the time, he sells his guitar collection, he sells his stamp collection, his comic books, he sells his stocks, his bonds, he pulls money out of his investments, he takes everything together that he can. Why does, why does he do all of that? Because the treasure that he finds in this field, in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 44, the treasure that he finds in this field is worth so much to him that he wants to make dead level sure he's got enough money to buy that field. Who knows how much that field is? There's no for sale sign out there. There's nothing out there indicating that it is for sale. And so uh, there's, nothing in, there's nothing in this parable to indicate that it's guaranteed that the owner of that field wants to sell it. So he's making sure that when he approaches the owner, he's coming with enough cash in his pocket to blow that owner's mind. And the owner's it's one of those things he's got to make him a deal he can't refuse. And maybe it's prime real estate. We don't know. It's just some field somewhere. Maybe it's full of stones. Maybe it ties into some of the other parables. Maybe it's no good for anything. Maybe it's no good for planting. We don't really know. But you can extrapolate some of that by the language that he uses here. It's worth so much to him because, it, and this is worth asking the question, you know, what's a thing worth? Now, that's a really vague question, I know, but what's a thing worth? You say, well, how in the world can I answer that kind of a question? You know, it's like saying, you know, how long is a piece of string? And well, that depends on how long the piece of string is, right? You know, there's no simple answer for that. Well, the answer to the question, what is a thing worth, is very simple. Whatever someone else is willing to pay for it. That is the value of anything at all. And I'm not trying to turn this into a lesson on economics, but that's a very, very basic rule. Anything is like this, okay? This is a cheap little junky garbage watch we bought from McDonald's so we could take the junky uh, band off of it and stick it up here so the preachers can tell what time it is when they're doing what they're doing so we don't keep you here for three hours and wear you out, right? Well, I think I paid less than $5, maybe $6 for this thing. It's a cheap watch. Um, but I guarantee you, if it had to be mined up from all its raw materials, it'd be worth a whole lot more than that. But now if I walk outside and try to sell this to somebody and it's a cheap watch to begin with and it has no band on it and it really isn't anything even to look at, it's not even a good knockoff Rolex or something like that, I wouldn't be able to hardly give this thing away because it's not worth anything to someone in that condition, right? So what's a thing worth? Well, what this guy found was a treasure that was presumably worth far more than the field it was in. And so in his mind, he did the cost assessment. And I know it's not 
it's not a matter of historical record. It's a parable that Jesus is sharing. But in this man's mind, in the parable, it was worth far more than everything he owned in life. How much is the kingdom of heaven worth to you? If it was a treasure hid in a field somewhere, if it was, if it was something that was immeasurably valuable, boxed up and buried three feet underground across the street from the church in that job site over there, would it be worth enough to you to sell everything that you own, to take out loans even if you had to, to muster up enough capital to go to the owner of that field and say, hey, I want to buy your field. Well, and he'd say, well, what do you, what, what, what do you have in mind? And then you drop some ridiculous dollar sign on them like, all right, well, how about $2 million? Well, I don't think we'd, any of us would have $2 million if we sold all we had. I don't think that I would have that. I know I wouldn't have anything close to that, but you get the point. The kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth. And for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field. He buys the whole field to ensure that he has 100% lawful, legal, indisputable ownership of the treasure that he hid there. That's how valuable it is. And that's the lesson of that whole parable. The kingdom of heaven is worth more than everything. The kingdom of heaven is worth more than the world. The kingdom of heaven is worth more than anything you can possibly own in this life, do in this life, possess in this life. It's worth more than that. It's worth more than the truck and the SUV. It's worth more than the house. It's worth more than the relationship. Oh yeah, yeah. It makes it very real when you go there. It's worth more than the relationship. It's worth more than the job title. It's worth more than the career, the great American God with a capital C. Career, don't you know? It justifies me destroying my family and sacrificing my children to, to maintain my career, don't you know? I hate that God. I absolutely despise it. I understand they can be necessary and when they're in their proper place, you know, they can be really good things, but they make terrible gods. They really do. Man, I didn't even mean to segue over into that, but it, it works out so well. The kingdom of heaven is worth more than any false god that we could possibly have in this life. Because all those gods lose their power when you die. They all lose their power when you die. Let's move on to the very next parable. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So this is a lot like the previous parable. It's almost, it's almost identical to the previous parable. But he likens the kingdom of heaven in this parable, not to the pearl itself, not to the treasure itself, but to the merchant man itself. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he hath found one pearl of great price. So, you know, imagine a pearl the size of a golf ball. You know, that's a big honking pearl right there, wouldn't you say? I don't know what you'd do with that sort of thing. Maybe play golf with it. Probably not. One good swing. Whack! And that thing is a thousand pearls in completely unusable condition. It's good for nothing at that point. But you find a pearl of that kind of an enormous size. And then it's the same thing as the previous parable there. He goes and he sells all that he has. 
and buys that pearl because again, the treasure, he understands its value and not just its imagined value, but its real value because those are two different things, right? Yeah, and we could we could really take that and rabbit trail into the world of stocks and all of that, and which I don't play around in the world of stocks. But you know, you listen to the wrong people. It's like that lesson from I don't know, Reverend Wright, if you had to read that book when you were in seminary, Richest Man in Babylon. It's a wonderful book, talks about finances and all that. But one of the pieces of advice in it was, you know, if you're going to buy diamonds, don't go get advice. Don't go and get advice about diamonds from a guy who sells bronze, you know. You talk to somebody who actually knows what they're talking about on it. The point of that is that, you know, people buy stocks not based on the actual value of a company. They buy stocks based on what they imagine, how they imagine that company is going to do. And that deals with psychology and how things get trumped up and, and marketed and all of that. But that's how the market works, whatever. But that's imagined value. Here in these two parables, we're talking about real value. In other words, this is something that no one, if they were selling this treasure on the street, they wouldn't have had to talk up the value of it. It would have been something that sold itself because its worth would have been self-evident. That's what we're dealing with in these two parables. The treasure hid in the field and a pearl of great price. He says that when he has found one pearl of great price, he goes and he sells all that he has and then he buys it. And so I think we get the picture there. I think we get the message. What's the kingdom of heaven worth? Well, if it's like he's described in these parables, the kingdom of, he the kingdom of heaven is worth everything. Now think about that for a moment. Think about that. When weighed against modern gods. When weighed against modern priorities. You know, America... Society, cultures, whatever. I can't pin it just on America, but America has probably glorified it more than a lot, you know, at least in our media and in our music. You know, we put this huge price tag on love. You like how I said that? That's, that's how people think of it. Love. Ooh, baby, I love you. I love you. And they write, we write our music about that. We write songs about that. Oh, my goodness. There's no end to love songs is there and they all sound like a bunch of nonsense until you actually fall in love and then you're like oh wow well now all these love songs make sense well at least all the ones that weren't stupid and even maybe some of those but and so that gets exalted as like the highest and noblest aim in life right find some find that special someone who's your soulmate and all of that and all right you know maybe Maybe there's somebody out there like that for everybody. Maybe there's not. But you know, there's something worth even more than that. There is. And I'm speaking as a happily, that's the key word, a happily married man. Okay, it's easy for an unhappily married man to say that. Yeah, it ain't worth all that. Well, you can tell you love is great. Love is grand. Love really is wonderful when it's the real thing. But there's something that's worth even more. And that's the kingdom of heaven. Because love in, in the sense that people understand it and promote it and bang on about it all the time and write their songs about it all the time and all of that, that love ends at the grave. Well, I'm going to love, I'm going to love my baby forever. No, you won't. Because one day they're going to die and you're going to die and you're both going to be dead. Okay? So will you love them then? Well, we'd like to think that we would, especially if you're saved, they're saved, and we all go to heaven. 
right? Of course, you're going to love them still, but we have the words of Jesus concerning what happens to marriage at the grave, right? Marriage ends at the grave. He says, because in the kingdom of heaven, or in the kingdom, speaking of the kingdom of heaven, he says there is neither marriage, nor there is none married, neither given in marriage. And so marriage is an institution that is strictly limited to our life here on earth, a man and a woman. Let me say that again. A man and a woman. Not a man and three women. Not in this culture. And not two men and not two women. Or any other weird combination. One man, one woman, call it good, be happy. Love the one you're with, like the old, the, that old song said. I don't even remember who sang that. The kingdom of heaven, the point is that the kingdom of heaven is worth more than everything and anything on earth, even more than a marriage. Now, does that, it, let's someone take that and run into a ditch of error with it, okay? And we're not teaching that we should then trash our marriages. No. Why? Why? Why would that thought even cross someone's mind unless it's a miserable marriage? We're just saying that if for the sake of the kingdom, a marriage ends up ending because someone who neither values the kingdom nor desires the kingdom decides that they want to pack up and leave and chase some other kind of life. Christian, you ain't lost much. You really haven't. Because there's something worth more. There's something that's worth more. And that's the kingdom of heaven. It's like, man, you're talking up the kingdom of heaven a lot. Well, no, Jesus was talking up the kingdom of heaven a lot. And he wasn't even trying to. He was trying to convey to a people that were not accustomed to thinking beyond the grave. Okay? It's easy for us as Christians in 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 a Christianized, however, post-Christian culture and society, it's, it's easy, easy for us to project our kind of thinking onto the Jews of Jesus' day. But they weren't really thinking about the afterlife. They were thinking about the kingdom of Israel on earth. That's where the majority of their thinking was. They had the law of Moses that they were supposed to, but did not meditate on day and night. And they had, uh, they had imagined memories of the glory of the kingdom of Israel under the king, uh, under their king David and the kings that followed him until they lost it all in Babylon. Does that make sense? That's what the Jews had, and that's what they, so many of them had their hearts fixed on, was the here and now and days of lost glory in the past. That's what consumed a lot of their thinking, maybe not all, but a lot of their thinking. They weren't necessarily thinking about where am I going to go when I die? They were thinking about it, but not to the extent that they were thinking about these other things. And so Jesus, in these parables, is striving to impress upon his disciples, you know, the don't worry about it type of thinking where it came to the kingdom of Israel on earth. Because again, many of them had the wrong idea about why Jesus was coming anyway. They had, a mis they had a misconception concerning the reason for Messiah's coming. They kept thinking, all right, well, he's going to restore again the kingdom to Israel. He's going to make us a sovereign nation and cast off our Roman oppressors and every other oppressor that oppressed us ever since we were taken away captive into Babylon. And he's going to make us glorious like we used to be. Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field that a guy having found it 
sells everything he has so he can buy that whole field. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. And when he finds one pearl of great price, he sells everything so that he can buy it. And then in verse 47, he tells us another parable on the same vein as these other two. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So in this one among these three parables about the kingdom of heaven as treasure, in this one, he steps into a little bit of fire and brimstone teaching because you can't get away from that. We love to focus on the good stuff, but we're fools if we think that we can study the Word of God and embrace and incorporate the Word of God into our lives and ignore, I don't want to call it the dark side of it because that's misrepresenting the Word, but ignore the sober facts of judgment and damnation for those who reject Christ and die lost in their sins. So that's in here too. But let's go back to the beginnings of these parables, okay? The kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking treasure. I paraphrase that so that we can categorize this. And the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net cast into the sea to gather treasure. So Jesus in these parables is likening the kingdom of heaven unto the treasure itself, the man finding the treasure and doing everything that he can to get it, everything lawful that he can to get it. And he likens the kingdom also unto the tool used to acquire that treasure. So that kind of paints a picture for us, doesn't it? It kind of paints a composite image. What is the kingdom of heaven? It's everything. The kingdom of heaven is everything. It's worth everything. It is more valuable than everything. It is worth the loss of everything. And let's tie a little bit of the Apostle Paul into this where Paul starts rattling off all of his own glorified credentials concerning his line of work and his apostleship. And he talks about uh, how he was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I believe it was, and circumcised the eighth day. We talked about that just recently in, in a message that was preached. And all these different things and how he was a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, and raised up and instructed at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a, a notable Pharisee, and all of these different things that people looking at your resume or checking out your profile on LinkedIn or whatever would look at that and say, wow, he's got some great credentials, let's hire this guy. But at the end of all of that, because Paul was not boasting, he was simply setting up the, he was setting up the ball on the tee so he could smack it. And he said, but all these things I count as dung, as loss, as dung. That's the stuff that we pump out through that lift station out there in the parking lot and, and out into the sewer system. He said, all these great things which impress other people. He said, I count all of it as loss for the kingdom. Or to, to obtain Christ. However he said it. We're paraphrasing it, I know. But the point is that to, to attain Christ and to attain the kingdom, and they're almost synonymous, okay? And certainly in terms of value, is worth losing everything if you have to. The good news is that most of the time you don't have to. 
But the lesson here is that it's worth it if you do. It's worth it if you do. There are people that have absolutely given up God because their wife wouldn't let them come to church. What kind of soy-drinking beta? I mean, really, non-man? Come on. But there are women that have also done the same thing. They have absolutely given up God because they had a tyrant husband that didn't want them being a part of the family of God. It's like, well, my husband's the head of the household. His authority ends where it crosses the word of God. Yes, he's got authority and all of that. We're not taken away from that. But where his requirements require another person to sin, that authority comes to an end. You are not bound by it. Period. End of story. And there are people that have given up God for other things. You know, for boyfriends and boyfriends or girlfriends. I mean, man, it's almost understandable for a spouse because, you know, you're committed to one another and you're bound and all of that. And you don't want to just burn that to the ground, you know, but a boyfriend or girlfriend, it's like you're not even committed. You know what I mean? You know, and those things are transient. That's like, remember back to high school. I don't know if you've ever wondered this sort of thing. I always, I always scratched my head about this all my, all the way through high school as I watched all of my friends get in, emotionally invested in these relationships that didn't last two weeks. It was the boyfriend of the month, the girlfriend of the week, or whatever, and vice versa. You know, you're going to give up God because your boyfriend doesn't like your church. Or because your girlfriend has different interests. When I'm reading parables here that say the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure and is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls and is like unto a net that gathers up all the treasure of the sea or the you know fish and good things that you pick up with a net when you're out there with a net. And then it says that they, they, they drew that net in. When it was full, they drew it to shore and sat down. And then they gathered, so they picked through everything that that net picked up. It picks up good and bad, right? You know, how many of you ever fished and got something other than a fish? I picked up a branch once. Did anybody ever? There you go. I'm not the only one. Did anyone ever get the proverbial boot? Anyone ever pick up a boot from some riverbed somewhere? I'm sure it's happened. I caught a branch once and a miserable little bluegill once. It wasn't even worth the effort to clean that thing and eat it. It had no flavor. But river fishing isn't the greatest for that. I think that's just more recreational. But whatever. But they bring that net in and then they sift through everything that's in it. They sift through everything in it that's good and bad. And it's like, okay, this is a fish that's good. We can eat this. And they put it into a vessel. Or, you know, this is something that we can use. Or we can eat or we can do whatever with it. And they put it into a vessel. And then they take the stuff that's bad, that is valueless, that's good for nothing, like that miserable little bluegill or that branch or that boot or whatever it is that you caught when you caught something that wasn't a fish. And so they, they cast it. They cast the bad away. And then he says, so shall it be at the end of the world. So in this parable, he explains it. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth. Well, where shall they come forth from? From the kingdom of heaven. They shall sever the wicked from among the just. There will be a dividing and a sorting in those days. The elect, the redeemed, uh, those that have been born again. There's different terms for the same people, okay? Those that are on the right side of this thing by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we will be sorted out and separated from the wicked. Those that are, spiritually speaking, effectively useless. Those that are ultimately ordained unto judgment because of the decisions they made. Not because they were ordained from before the beginning of time. Okay? You know we got to bring that up. We can't just let that just not get dealt with. 
God did not choose who goes to heaven and who goes to hell 20 billion eons ago before any of us ever existed. And I'm going to talk about that a lot, but be it the will of the Lord. I talk about it a fair amount. I continue to talk about it because there's a real resurgence of that kind of bad theology happening in America right now. And that's got some real dark, dark implications that, that are embedded in that theology that, 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 that people who embrace it don't like to consider or to admit because it's, it's pretty scary stuff and it's wrong. It's not wrong because it's scary. It's wrong because it is unbiblical and it's unfactual, okay? Well, what did God preordain then? Well, He preordained that there would be a people who would be saved. He didn't choose before the beginning of the world who was going to be saved. So you've got somebody wants to start a company. Well, in his mind, he's preordaining, if you will, because it's his goal and his intention uh, to do what it's going to take to bring about a company. But he hasn't already chosen who's going to be in it. He doesn't even know who his best candidates are. And then you've got the whole pesky matter of human free will to consider. You can't escape from that. Human free will is a fact. The Bible is filled with it from end to end. To end. It's all throughout it. People making free will decisions either for the right or for the wrong. And when they make the wrong call, there's a price to pay. And when they make a right call, well, sometimes there's a price to pay for that too. It all depends on who they're dealing with. Stephen made the right call and was stoned to death for it. But he got the kingdom, didn't he? It was worth it. Even the loss of his life. It was worth the loss of his job, his health, his standing in the community in order just to be a Christian and have a place reserved for him in the kingdom. The point is, is that it's worth it all. Well, man, you know, is it worth me giving up a job? Well, most of the time you don't have to, but sometimes a believer does. Years ago, in my earlier days in the ministry, I had... Things that I considered obligations upon my life as a Christian first and as a minister second. Okay. And so there were career opportunities that would occasionally come my way. Hey, you know, why don't you try? Why don't you look into doing this? And then you could be this and you could make this. And that's usually the attraction right there. You know, money is usually the biggest attraction to it. And secondarily is you know, the job title or the prestige or whatever might come along with it. I don't know how much prestige comes with most jobs. It's just a job, folks trying to get by and do well in the world. But some of those offers, well, all the ones that I'm thinking of, would have required a crippling compromise, either in my relationship with God or in my commitment to the ministry. Now, that's not on everybody, but, you know, a commitment to the cross is. Amen? So it was decision time and it's always decision time. So often it's decision time in the Christian life as we're tempted with one thing or presented with, you know, uh, a fork in the road when the straight way goes this way towards the kingdom. But but something that the devil or the world or the flesh or whatever is tempting us with threatens to lure us off the path. Well, what's the kingdom of heaven worth? It's worth sacrificing careers, if need be. All of this is if need be, okay? It's worth sacrificing fortunes. It's worth sacrificing relationships, if it has to. Oh, that's, that's, hard. that's hard to hear, preacher. Well, it, it's hard to say. 
but it's true. It's true. Remember earlier in our red letter teachings when we came across a man that, that came to Jesus and said, I'll follow you whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus told him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. And we remember what the lesson was in that, you know. Don't be afraid to sacrifice what's comfortable and familiar to you to obtain that which is supernatural and spectacular and beyond value and eternal in nature. You know, if it, the, the way we described it at that time was, you know, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you something. But don't be afraid of that cost because it's totally worth it. It's more worth it than you can imagine. Because again, and we come back to this a lot, what do we have here on earth in terms of time? 70 years, 80 on the outside for some, 90 if you're really stretching it out. And some make it to that, they do. And then it's done, it's over. And then all that you spent your life running for and gunning for and striving for and fighting for and working for, it's over with. The job titles cease to matter the moment you retire. The money ceases to matter the moment you die. The house ceases to matter the moment it burns up because that happens sometimes. It happens a lot. Things catch fire and they get lost. We've got just a few decades and then it's all over with. The kingdom of heaven is forever. And that's saying something that the human mind still struggles to fully encapsulate and to understand. So what's our takeaway from this? What's our lesson from our study tonight? He says, all right, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hidden in a field. The man finds it, he hides it, He's happy as a clam and he goes and sells everything so he can buy that field. That's how much it's worth to him. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man looking for good pearls. So that's, he's like unto a man looking for, looking for a treasure. Well, he finds a pearl of great prices. He sells all that he has to buy it. Well, what did God do? What did God as the merchant man do in order to acquire us? He sold his own son to the death of the cross. That he might buy us. Wow. Did that ever jump out at any of us before? That's the value of the kingdom right there. It was worth it to this man to sell everything he had to buy the field. It was worth it to the merchant man to sell all he could to buy the pearls. It was worth it to our God to sell his son to a cruel and humiliating death to buy us. And then again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net cast into the sea to gather what it could. He said, I'm going to gather everything. And then I'll sort out what's good and what's bad. And that is God as judge. And at the end of the world, as he says here in verse 49, the angels shall come forth and shall sever the wicked from among the just. There will be a permanent separation. And the, you know, the wicked will go into their judgment, which he describes here, verse 50, shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now that's hard. That's heavy. That, that, but that's real. It's right there. We don't rejoice over that. We don't rejoice over that. But it's there. And so we take warning, don't we? And we also warn others. And then he says to them, Have ye understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. 
Speaking of all of these parables that he's talked about. Then he saith, then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash giving